Alright, a quick heads up before we start. If you hear any noises in the background or anything like that, just bear with it. I mean, I sincerely apologize in advance because I'm trying to do this in one take and I can't control the external noises, including uh, some grinder grinding away, let's just say that. But yeah, enjoy the podcast. Hello everybody, Mazon, and this is Hans Gad Talk for Friday 24th of November 2023. Uh, Today, sort of, for a lot of folks, is Black Friday, White Friday. I don't know what you want to call it. I, I, I would say that the word Black Friday has kind of been diluted. Like everybody, anybody, and everybody, or almost every brand, retailer, product, or honestly, any store or brand, and their grandma sort of has gone into a whole uh, hype around the shopping, infamous shopping holiday that started in the U.S. as kind of the day after Thanksgiving when. You get uh, gobsmacking deals on everything from TVs to uh, bed sheets to uh, games consoles. And that was basically when people managed to get basically the best price for the gift before Christmas sort of. But now it's become a global shopping holiday and it's become overly hyped. And if you probably were expecting uh, some details about Black Friday deals, uh, sorry to say I won't be uh, giving them here. There's plenty of resources about what deals bad. But more importantly... Uh, you're not gonna be really. You're not really gonna be saving a lot of money, uh, mind you, except for some things, maybe like games consoles and Amazon devices. We actually would say, for example, I went on Amazon and uh, apparently you can get an, a new Echo Show Five for like forty dollars. And while you're at it, the Fire TV Stick 4K Max is like going for like thirty dollars, up for, uh, down from like the usual MSRP. So there are like actually some discounts in some places but you have to look for them and i honestly didn't have the time so if you're expecting uh black friday deals i'm so sorry we're not gonna bring them here because uh, i don't have that kind of energy and you can kind of ask chat gpt to do it for you but yeah uh this week's episode we've got plenty of things to talk about other than uh the fact that we're not going to talk about some deals here uh, really uh, what's kind of been happening in the past week or so uh insta360 has got new cameras um ChatGPT, or really the the owners behind it, OpenAI has gone through quite a bit of boardroom drama worthy of a prestige TV series that will actually be made in the future. Uh, you better you you best believe it. Some tech journalist has probably written an autobiography. Uh, a it's probably writes uh, is hard at work writing a book that'll probably be turned into a show on a streaming service near you. Uh, so that's definitely fun. Uh, but plus, we're gonna have more things to talk about, including. Uh, Dbrand is suing a case maker. We're going to talk about it. it's pretty hot scoop in the world of tech. But yeah, without further ado, uh, with this and much, much more, let's get rolling, shall we? Alrighty, first up, uh, move over the GoPro uh, Hero 12. Here comes the Insta360 Ace and Ace Pro, their latest action camera and probably the smartest yet. And it's quite interesting in a way with the features you have on uh, both uh, on both cameras but really a lot of focus has been on the ace pro because it's the more sophisticated of the two but the insta360 ace is also a fairly good action camera for the price also uh, compared to whatever gopro has in that segment uh, interestingly enough these are uh, basically the ace and ace pro are basically a pair of of action cameras they feature 33 up to 33 feet water resistance. Uh, that's uh, there's no IP rating on here, but again, you can go all the way 
to uh, 33 feet you can take this uh, down into the ocean and you won't have any issues oh and also you can get a dive case separately that will take it all the way to 196 feet so you can go all the way down to those depths if you know what I mean interesting enough you can run them in temperatures as low as 20 degrees Celsius and probably somewhere much higher well above 40 degrees Celsius so that's pretty interesting uh, on top of that, you get uh, flow state stabilization, which means that, again, using AI and using Insta360's uh, technology and all, the video is extremely smooth and there's no jitteriness in the video. And again, it's obviously potentially a step up from what GoPro has in uh, lockstep. We, meanwhile, we also have a 360-degree 60, horizon lock. Uh, try saying that in a single sentence. And that basically means that basically you can set a you could again you could set a target uh, on the video and it'll remain stable and locked and will not lose focus over time. So that's pretty interesting in a way. Another cool Insta360 feature that will also be on these action cameras is the AI selfie stick remover. So when you use a selfie stick with the Ace or Ace Pro, you can sort of get that removed with AI, and you can essentially get like this immersive third-person experience as the uh, press release states so that's pretty interesting in a way another unique feature on these uh, cameras that I want to add here is AI warp uh, apparently this uses uh, an AI algorithm to essentially warp your 360 degree your, your action camera footage and get you that uh, 360 degree look that you kind of get on the more premium sort of models that you normally have so that's pretty cool in a way and speaking of which uh, this these cameras come with a whole load of AI uh, pretty much and um, again a custom algorithm a 5 nanometer AI chip uh, using again as I said a custom algorithm a neural network uh, to denoise the footage so you get a clearer image and much better night mode capabilities uh, again and this actually is a whole mode called pre pure video which gives you that pretty crispy night mode and you can get a lot more detail at night along with active HDR on the Ace Pro though uh, so that's pretty interesting in a way and again uh, there's AI, there are AI models trained uh, on a huge amount of uh, comp on a huge amount of uh, photography data that's to say that and that means that you get the, the 48 megapixel photo mode and pure video again have uh, performed really really well compared to the competition uh, with uh, with better signal to noise ratio and dynamic range let's say that so there's a lot of AI action on these cameras but again that means that you get a pretty crispy uh, you get pretty crispy videos and photos at the end so that's uh, pretty interesting aside from all the features and the fact that for example the Ace Pro has a 2.4 inch flip flip out screen so you can uh, do vlogs like a pro there's also features like clarity zoom so you can get a bit of a zoom because it has that much larger 48 megapixel sensor for the pro gesture controls which also have been on the gopro more or less but again i'm assuming that the gesture controls thanks to ai you can cancel recordings straight away uh, without any effort you can pause and resume recording sort of on the spot we can you know press the record button uh, to pause and record as you go and also photographs you can get a still from a video so that's pretty interesting and again also has quite a lot of Insta360 features that usually are on other cameras but also on the Ace and Ace Pro 
Along with that, you get a unique stats dashboard. So you can have that in your videos. So if you're out running, walking, cycling, you can have that. Uh, you can have that data from your Garmin or Apple Watch uh, overlay on the video so you can have that as like a watermark on top of the watermarks you can already kind of get on these cameras so that's pretty cool in a way so all in all also there's fast charging so you can get go from 0 to 80 in 22 sec uh, in 22 minutes i was about to say seconds but actually you get 80 percent charge in 22 minutes so that's pretty interesting in a way but really uh, we go past well into the specs here the ace which is the basic model the insta 360 ace has half inch f2.4 sensor 16 millimeter focal length uh, so again that's equivalent to 35 millimeters roughly um, you get 6k video support uh, at 30 frames a second but generally you also get 4k support at up to 60 frames a second with various modes including hdr free frame and much much more 48 megapixel uh, sensor so you can take 48 megapixel shots roughly uh, again uh uses the mp4 format for videos so you won't have any problems with you know editing or converting them in a way and again plenty of the features i've already talked about uh, but also uh, again it runs at max bit rate of 170 megabytes per second so that's fairly impressive shutter speed is one to eight thousand for both photo and videos and goes up to ten thousand in white balance these are very technical specs more or less Comes with the uh, as it comes with three mics, weighs 176.8 grams, and again supports microSD cards up to one terabyte. No built-in storage, so you'll have to use a microSD card of your own. 1700 milliamp hour battery, and again lasts over an hour. Uh, again charges in over an hour on the regular Ace. You get the fast charging only on the Pro. That's in the specs, and again lasts over a hundred minutes, so over an hour recording comfortably without any issues. Bluetooth 5.2 support. Wi-Fi AC support, USB-C plug, and again, pretty much only works on iPhones and high-end Android phones. So that's pretty interesting in a way. And on the other, and then on flip side, the Pro, uh, however, has a substantially smaller, but again, larger sort of display. Uh, has a much slightly larger uh, sensor with a one by one point three inch sensor, f two point six aperture, sixteen millimeter focal length. Again, let's uh, lets you do 8K video recording at up to 24 frames a second, and 4K you can do 60 FPS recording and also 120 frames a second 4K recording. So that's fairly impressive. 48 megapixel photos um, and MP4 recording, so that's not going to be an issue, uh, more or less. And uh, you get up to 6400 ISO range. That's also on the Ace regular. Same shutter speed, same white balance and also same audio features and mics and almost more or less weighs a little bit a little bit more weighs the same roughly three grams heavier than the ace and again uh, you have to use your own micro sd card and has a slightly smaller battery uh, but again to account for the fact that it has a flip out screen and uh, and a slightly larger sensor and much much more so uh, it's a fairly interesting set of action cameras it might be one to consider if you're looking if you're in the market for an action camera if you happen to use an action camera and you're in the market for one the ace starts at 379.99 dollars in the us and the ace pro starts at 449.99 dollars uh, and it'll be available through the website amazon and many many more places and it's kind of already on sale so you can go and buy it straight away so that's pretty interesting 
And again, if you're in the market and you're looking for something other than GoPro, you might want to be you might want to look at the Ace and Ace Pro from Insta360. So pretty cool set of cameras. And uh, if I got the chance, I'll definitely uh, try them and check them out in the future. I'm probably let you know my thoughts. All right, moving on to AI and specifically OpenAI. Uh, this past week and a half, more or less, has kind of been a tale, uh, really, as I've mentioned earlier, a bit of a boardroom drama fit for an HBO series, probably like Succession, that I'm pretty much sure that a tech journalist is probably writing a book on this and will probably be turned into a series for a major streaming service. We'll see about that. But uh, it's kind of interesting But how it really started, and this is based on my kind of own memory, based on what I've read online and read in the news, so it kind of started this time last week when OpenAI's board, OpenAI being the inventors of ChatGPT, GPT-4, GPT-3, DALI, and many other products and tools, fired Sam Altman from the role of CEO. Because apparently he's not been candid and has there's basically been like a rift. And some people have said that basically Altman's been pushing OpenAI to be more of a commercial business where it actually originally started to be like a charity uh, where originally it was you know a charity that was sort of a non-profit that was that focused on creating ai that was that's not going to ruin the world it's not going to end the world and uh, basically results in computers taking over humans um but um as i said the success of chat gpt has kind of caused a sort of a rift and altman wanted to move at his own speed and really have some commercially viable products so that the company, the profitable, the for-profit entity could sort of turn a profit and start making money. But um, that resulted in Sam Altman being fired as CEO. And then uh, that led to uh, the board at OpenAI hiring another CEO. It was then sort of CTO, Amir Murati, a former uh, Tesla uh, employee, uh, being the CEO. And then... She got fired and then another CEO came along. It basically was the former CEO of Twitch. And then he got fired and then uh, apparently and then it went all, and then it got wild really quickly when Sam um, Altman and his uh, colleague uh, joined Microsoft briefly uh, because Microsoft was concerned that this, you know, this pool of talent was going to go elsewhere. So they brought them in-house for an advanced AI lab. But now that's sort of not really a thing anymore because Altman and his colleagues are back at OpenAI because the board sort of uh, retracted everything they did and rehired Altman a few days back. And the whole drama sort of is over now and we're sort of well past it. And it's quite crazy what we've kind of gone through. But it's, it really shows you the uh, what's at stake with generative AI and how revolutionary it is and also what OpenAI has been really been working through uh, towards artificial general intelligence and what's really at stake and the power dynamics and what um, and really uh, what's at stake and really it's extremely lucrative but as I said it's extremely powerful and um, you know it's surprising AI didn't really kick out the board or really the the or really an individual like Sam Altman but instead it was really humans who push it we really don't know what has caused the rift but now we sort of slightly know the reason and that's because um apparently an internal message came this is coming from reuters uh that um so quote and this is in their words not mine that a letter came to the uh, was written to the board at open ai uh, by several staff researchers and basically it was 
about really warnings about discovery of new AI algorithms and also apparently that OpenAI was working on something called QSTAR which was quite powerful and could uh, apparently uh, again according to uh, Reuters employees believed that it was a breakthrough in AGI which is artificial general intelligence and apparently it could solve certain mathematical problems and that means that it's extremely powerful and again the letter sort of uh, was sent by researchers to the board claiming that it's extremely dangerous and it could um, again flag potential uh, mishaps and problems and as I said uh, there was a whole sort of team that was working on the algorithm on the uh, on the model called QSTAR and that uh, also that sort of you could say then sort of led to um, this sort of mistrust between the board and the CEO and the team at OpenAI the broader uh, colleagues sort of and that led to the whole kerfuffle we had with Altman getting fired sort of then joining Microsoft quitting and then rejoining OpenAI and also employees kind of threatening to quit OpenAI for the whole debacle that has been enforced. It's been quite wild, let's just say that, and as I said, a lot of people have been taken aback by surprise in a way, but as, as I've said earlier already, uh, it also shows the power of AI as a technology, and also it shouldn't be taken for granted that uh, it has the capability to change things and to really uh, make a huge difference in a way. So it really should be something to keep in mind. But it's good to see that Sam Altman and his uh, team and his colleagues and his sort of uh, his uh, com comrades are back at OpenAI and now really the ship is steering in his direction. So that's pretty interesting. But uh, this won't certain as AI becomes like a serious technology and really transforms the world we live in. It surely won't be the last uh, drama. Really, this won't be the last we'll be seeing of the AI arms race will probably see will probably see more boardroom dramas more battles more sort of confrontation between sort of uh, management researchers ethics ethical what do you call them ethical experts who be like we shouldn't really roll this out so quickly because it will make a humongous impact on the world and we should really take our time but it'll be those who'll be like now nah, we should really put bring this out to market you don't know how many lives will be saved how much productive how more how much more productive the economy will get so there's something to keep in mind but i'll definitely tell you one thing as someone who sort of knows technology inside out this certainly isn't the first uh, but certainly it won't be the last we'll be seeing in this ai arms race already in this gen ai era we'll be seeing more sorts of battles and drama sort of arising either from OpenAI or from its competitors like Anthropic and Google and many many more so really it's not certainly the last of it. Alright moving back to smartphones because this is what the podcast primarily is smartphones and EVs and other things like that because that's what we do really well over here. Uh, smartphones we got new phones uh, first up is the Honor 100 and the 100 Pro. Uh, can't believe that Honor has gotten from 90 to 100 so it's gone uh, full speed ahead. So we have the Honor 100 and the 100 Pro and what's quite interesting in many ways is that uh, both phones have a custom RF chip so that means that you won't get many dropped calls. Also you get 100 watt fast charging is in the name 100. So Honor 100 and both the Pro and the regular will get 100 watts of fast charging out of the box. Alright so the Honor 100 is the basic of the two and has 
and features 6.7 inch OLED display resolution of 1220p was very bizarre but that's probably given that the phone is slightly curved and sort of cuts off and it's curved over the edges and that means it's over 1080p so that's kind of over full HD in a way and you get an in display in display fingerprint sensor if that's a thing also interestingly this is the first phone uh, in the market in they will launch it's launching in China but obviously will launch globally it's the first one to come with the Snapdragon 7 Gen 3 try saying that in a sentence the 7 Gen 3 from Qualcomm the uh, Snapdragon 7 uh, Gen 3 and this features one Cortex uh, one high performance Cortex Cortex a715 core goes up to 3.15 gigahertz uh, three similar sort of cores also so basically four high performance cores uh, the one goes up to 3.15 gigahertz and then there are three regular sort of at 2.4 gigahertz regularly clocked and for efficiency uh, cortex a510 a510 cores at up to 1.8 gigahertz on top of that you have a you have two dual cameras on the back 50 megapixel main with IMAX 906 sensor f1.95 aperture and a 12 megapixel ultrawide sensor with 112 degrees field of view so a fairly good pick of sensors for a regular phone that should cost under $700 starting along with that you get a 50 megapixel selfie camera so this is a unique thing on honor phones potentially uh, don't get me wrong uh, so yeah that's pretty interesting you got 5000 mAh battery with 100 watt fast charging and surprisingly uh, you get NFC and Android 13 or Magic OS 7.2 but surprise surprise this phone in China will set you back starting $350 for the 256GB variant and again comes in some stunning finishes uh, quite uh, luxurious and fancy surprisingly but for $350 it's pretty good obviously when it launches globally it should come around to $400 to $500 but not bad for a phone that should cost under $500 uh, with stunning finishes and uh, a fairly good mid-range chip and solid cameras all around and some honor specific features including this one thing we'll definitely touch upon uh, in a few moments also we have the pro on the other hand which is it was the bigger and beefier brother of the two so the honor 100 pro comes with a 6.7 inch OLED display Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 a the same cameras as the Honor 100 along with a third uh, 32 megapixel zoom camera that gives you 50 times zoom we don't know if it's optical or digital so might be hybrid zoom overall but you get optical image stabilization same battery size with same fast charging but you get 66 watt wireless charging so there's wireless charging on this bad boy also you get the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 slightly older chip from the 8 Gen 3 that's already out there but Honor had to have a phone out in time so they Gen 2 is a good, pretty good choice if you, in my opinion it's still a solid high-end chip for 2023 and also for 2024 more or less on top of that uh, the 100 Pro uh, comes with a wa vapor chamber cooling uh, solution that features over 4674 square millimeters of cooling that's again with a 0.35 millimeter thin component and it's 30% lighter than the standard vapor chamber cooling that obviously comes with copper and also more or less the same sorts of features like the and also along with that 
as mentioned here uh, also other features on the regular uh, honor 100 so really the honor 100 you get zoom lens you get uh, dual uh, front facing cameras and also you have uh, a faster processor and larger screen so if you're into that kind of stuff the pro is kind of for you the honor 100 pro will set you back 400 uh, over 480 dollars for the base specification and if you want a one terabyte spec that's also available in china at the moment it'll set you back 620 dollars obviously when this launches in globally outside of china it will come over to around six seven seven eight hundred dollars comfortably you can bet on that six seven hundred dollars roughly so that's pretty interesting but one thing i definitely want to touch upon is a custom chip that'll be coming on both phones and that is the c1 cellular chip apparently this uh means that dropouts will be a thing of the past on this because it will determine which is the best cellular network to connect to which one uh, again cuts out through the noise and that means that you'll get uh, smoother calls less dropouts and you'll get uh, much faster streaming and connectivity and you won't get much dropouts or disconnections and again give you like the most optimal connection uh, pretty much and sort of acts as a cu custom chip and is unique and that basic and as i said that kind of means that dropouts won't really happen on this phone that's pretty interesting and uh, this phone is a recently launched uh, model uh, as i said it's already available in china uh, we don't know about availability uh, globally outside of china but should be available in the next couple of months given that these are sort of mid-range to high-end sort of range phones sort of on the uh, higher end of the mid-range spec to the entry level premium so segment so Pretty good uh, option if you're sort of in the market for something that's not a thousand. That, that's not really a thousand dollar phone. Surprisingly, I mean, uh, if it if it does launch globally, it would cost around five hundred to eight hundred dollars roughly for both variants. So pretty good value in my opinion. All right, moving on. Uh, Oppo. Um, it's been. It feels like a long time, but now we have a new Renault phone, the Renault Eleven and Renault Eleven Pro. Uh, all new mid-rangers from Oppo interestingly uh, one thing you really want to know is that it's basically coming with better cameras processor and screen and but also set slightly slower uh, charging support and probably batteries in a way uh, firstly is the Renault 11 the basic of, of the two you get a 6.7 inch uh, 1080p OLED display 120 Hertz refresh rate 10-bit support uh, pretty much 240 hertz touch sampling rate so that's basically double the refresh rate so that's fairly accurate uh, apparently it's slightly curved and it's got kind of a boxy design but again slightly curved for better handling and a fingerprint sensor on your display you get a mediatek dimensity 8200 that was uh, apparently on the Renault 10 pro so it's you could say more or less it's using parts from previous Renaults to a degree uh, but that kind of means you're getting a in a nice new phone as a result surprise surprise uh, the Renault 11 uh, though has a 50 megapixel Sony LYT 600 or I think I don't know what you would call it but the LYT 600 sensor and that has f 1.8 aperture optical image stabilization autofocus and that's backed up with an 8 megapixel ultra wide camera with 112 degrees field of view and 32 megapixel portrait camera with two times zoom optical uh, also, you get the same uh, selfie camera that's apparently been in all the Renault phones in the past few years. So that's fairly interesting, that is. Um, the Renault 11 comes with a 4800 mAh battery, 
67 watt fast charging which apparently is a little bit slower compared to la the last Renault 10 that was available so that's pretty interesting though one thing I'd want to add is if you're looking to get this phone and hoping to upgrade the storage do keep in mind it does not have a micro SD card slot it only has two nano slim card slots out of the gate uh, interestingly but it'll be coming a color OS 14 and NFC support right away so fairly uh, again not a bad phone in a way and again uh, pretty good in my opinion so it's, it's decent but the MediaTek chip is definitely like in my eye uh, instead of an inferior processor especially on an Oppo when you add in the bloated color OS and then you put in the MediaTek chip and it doesn't chug along fast compared to uh, its bigger brother so uh, if you're really looking for like a performance oriented Oppo yeah I mean but as I said I've not played around with a MediaTek phone enough to like you know tell the difference per se so uh, again it's uh, it's fairly interesting uh, what we have uh, here the there's also then the Renault, Renault 11 Pro on the other hand the Pro pretty much and that packs a larger display 6.74 inch OLED uh, display with a resolution of 20, 2772 by 1214 uh, 1240 with 1600 nits of peak brightness max uh, pretty much so it's slight as when I say it's slightly bigger it, it kind of is along with that you have a Snapdragon 8 plus gen 1 chip that was on the Renault 10 Pro Plus so you can see how many parts Renault is sort of still sharing with the previous phones but that again that means that the phone is uh, should be decent in many respects because they're again using parts they've tried and tested uh, to a degree uh, what do you think I'd love to I'd love to know uh, your opinion uh, do you prefer that if you buy a new phone and it carries over some parts from the last from last year from the yesteryear model from last year that could include camera sensors battery it stays the same from last year the new one also says the same thing we prefer to have that or you just want that you have totally new parts for every new uh, phone that sort of launches a new model year I'd love to know you can place your thoughts below if you're listening on Spotify I'd love uh, or again you can uh, send me a message on X I'll be happy to hear from you that is but anyways uh, aside from that uh, the Renault 11 Pro on the other hand has a Sony IMX 890 50 megapixel OIS camera a 32 megapixel portrait and 8 megapixel ultra wide along with the same set of 32 megapixel selfie camera on the front so it's identical to the Renault 11 so if you've been looking to get a selfie shooter then the regular Renault 11 will do you wonders because it just also happens to have the same you know sensor as the pro on the other hand you have a 4700 million power battery dual cell so that uh, charging is fairly fast in this respect and speaking of which you 80 watts of fast charging that means you can get uh, you can charge the phone halfway through in just 11 minutes other than that you have a dual sim 5g support nfc and colorOS 14 now as for pricing uh, this is for the China version so the, the global prices will be different when it launches sort of early next year but in case you missed it the Renault 11 regular starts from 2499 yuan RMB that's about $350 starting that's going to GSM Arena uh, based on that um, and it's already gone on sale uh, pretty much today uh, December okay when is it let's see it again uh, November 25th for the regular Renault 11 on the Renault 11 the Renault 11 Pro uh, it will be available from $490 or 3499 yuan RMB so about $500 for the base spec 
and that means that if it's available globally it should be a $700 phone straight away with a slight markup and we're available next week from December the 1st so uh, that's pretty interesting in a way and um, as I said it really depends on what you're kind of looking from Oppo if you want a much faster performance and so cameras the pros are the way to go but also I'd like to assume that this Renault 11 won't be the global version uh, when it launches outside of China they may change a lot of specs for the global variant so do keep that in mind uh, but it's a fairly interesting mid-range phone that is and especially the very best of what Oppo has to offer in this uh, in this regard really if you come to think of it alright uh, let's talk about uh, other phones uh, shall we uh, so Xiaomi has announced that the Redmi K70 will be uh, unveiled at an event on November 29th, 7 p.m. China time, and they're going to be showing off the K70, K70e, and K70 Pro. And uh, again, apparently the K70 uh, Pro is expected to come with the uh, Snapdragon 8 Gen 3, whereas the rest will sort of come with uh, Dimensity chips from MediaTek. So that's something to keep in mind. And also that apparently it will have a beefy, powerful camera and some pretty large batteries. We're talking. Uh, 5,500 mAh battery for the K70e according to GSM Arena. So that'll be fairly exciting and again can't wait for next week. Alright and after all of that on December 4th uh, OnePlus will be showing off the OnePlus 12. Also along with it it being the 10th anniversary of OnePlus because yes it'll actually be 10 years since OnePlus uh, launched as a brand with the OnePlus One. And it launched in 2013. I'm, I'm now thinking about it. It's 10 long years. I feel old. Think about it. When, how old was I when I was uh, when it OnePlus launched? I was 14 years old back then. And then I still remember 2013 like it was yesterday. Um, I was probably at home most of the time. You know, if if you know, you know. Uh, HTC was like kicking. It was really uh, was pushing it a bit with HTC One. And then it just so happened that the iPhone, it was like well after the iPhone 5 came out. No, iPhone 5, yeah, it, we were on our way to the iPhone 5S. Um, and then the, I forgot what Samsung model, I think it was the S4, S5. Probably the S5 because uh, the S5 came in uh, maybe 2014. Oh no, oh well. But at that time, out of left field, out of nowhere, a brand came uh, to change the world of smartphones and that was OnePlus and launched a unique phone with a unique price point, uh, a flagship level phone, a very well built uh, sort of uh, flagship phone for mid-range prices. I still remember the price of the OnePlus One when it came out. It was I think it was around $400, three to $400 when it launched and now OnePluses go for over $1,000 at best. So it's fairly impressive how far we've come with OnePlus and also they've managed to build an actual brand, expand to markets like the US and India where it's very difficult to grow an Android phone brand from almost nothing. So you gotta give credit where credit is due in this respect, but uh, we're gonna be having we're gonna be having an event on December fourth, pretty much. OnePlus is gonna have an event on December fourth. That's basically a fortnight's time, and um, and uh, Pete Lau will be coming on to talk about the OnePlus Twelve. And also in the poster, there's also like a like a dial watch dial in the frame, which means that we might be seeing a new One OnePlus watch. So that's fairly exciting. Can't wait for that. Uh, the OnePlus 12 will be interesting, you expect uh, pretty beefy cameras, a totally new design and the 8 Gen 3 to come uh, with it so that will be fairly exciting nonetheless. Alright, uh, let's talk about Apple while we're at it. 
Uh, apparently, according to Mark Gurman from Bloomberg, Apple's reportedly aiming for a March 2024 release for the Apple Vision Pro, which is fairly interesting. And also that it will be available in the US initially in, in March of next year, expected. And then they're going to roll it out to other countries like primarily Canada and the UK and many, many more by the end of the year. And as I said, that um, Apple will potentially be doing like a little event to sort of uh, talk more about the device and promote it further. But as I said, also apparently Apple uh, meanwhile is working on a cheaper variant of the Apple Vision Pro called uh, codenamed Project Alaska, which I expect is basically going to be the Apple Vision headset as it is, no Pro moniker here. And I'll apparently launch in 2025, so a whole year after the Vision Pro comes out, which is not a surprise, frankly. The Vision Pro, when it does come out, will be targeting, you know, professionals, uh, you know, like power users, productive, productivity freaks. Just have to have six screens at once, developers and those kind of folks, and enthusiasts, of course, early adopters. Of course, Project Alaska, when it does come out, by that time, the market will mature even more. I mean, we're already seeing so much momentum in the AR glasses market generally. There are lots of different products that are coming out. Also, if you look at the VR and just generally the mixed reality market, there's a lot of momentum going uh, in a positive direction. And a lot of people are getting these headsets. And so if that's the competition, what about Apple? There's, uh, we might see Apple probably taking a pretty healthy market share next year. I'm no analyst, so maybe it might go the other way down south. But who knows, Apple might make this work with the Vision Pro where others have sort of failed or trumbled a bit or have sort of been relegated to the niche corner. I th in my opinion, I feel that like Apple will be like the ones to take uh, something like the Vision Pro, the, just the concept of mixed reality to the mainstream. The idea of AR uh, sort of in real world, you know, being, you know, basically a virtual world in front of you and also artificial, uh, artificial reality. I mean, virtual reality, mind you. Um, so that's pretty interesting in a way. Uh, again, uh, looking really, really looking forward to the Vision Pro when it comes out. It'll be fun to play around in, in real life. It'll be a fairly interesting device in all aspects. All right, uh, moving on uh, to Samsung. Apparently, uh, the S24 Ultra uh, will be having a flat display. Or really, uh, we've gotten essentially a leak from Ice Universe, uh, from a user on X called David Martin, who's purportedly posted uh, live images of an S24 Ultra, like spec, sort of, uh, what do you call it, uh, prototype, potentially. This could be a design prototype. The final phone would be something else. But these, uh, but this is sort of more in line with renders and other leaks we've been getting of the S24 series and S24 Ultra specifically. Uh, one thing you can tell is that uh, these are pretty big phones, let's say, on one hand. Another one is the display, the screen. It's not going to be curved. It's going to be flat screen, be a flat display instead of uh, with a slightly subtle curve, more or less. Uh, and again, we're also going to be getting one more thing, and that is uh, the boxy frame and the S Pen support that's on this too, uh, more or less. So that's pretty interesting in a way now this is a design this might look this sort of looks to me like a design prototype so the final one may be slightly different but this is probably what we're going to be getting with the ultra in a way all right if you love speakers and you love sonos this next one will be pretty good news 
and this is one you definitely get excited about now we normally don't talk about you know potential like rumors or like upcoming deets about other sort of manufacturers or especially smaller ones like sonos but this one's quite interesting it caught my eye this was reported in the verge uh, but bloomberg originally posted the scoop mark german from bloomberg surprisingly has uh, reported that uh, sonos is looking to launch a whole bunch of absolutely new devices for 2024 including two new product segments they're planning to go into about give you a quick hint these two new product categories or segments are related to things you wear over your ears and the little black box in your tv of course i'm talking about uh, headphones and streaming boxes apparently sonos is looking to get into those segments too weirdly enough so that's pretty interesting and apparently this is part of uh, of sonos's uh, really kind of push to get, get more sales boost sales um as i said given that uh, this past year has kind of been challenging, uh, not much sales growth, and also they've have been having job cuts uh, left and right. So this will give the company momentum, more or less. So that's pretty interesting. But uh, it, it apparently, Sonos has apparently been working on creating over-ear headphones since 2019, but have like sort of canceled iterations of it. And now there's a new one that will apparently be coming as soon as March, codenamed Duke. Apparently, will compete with the AirPods Max and Sony's, you know, high-end headphones that are noise-canceling. It'll come in cut black and white, and it will sort of sync with your Sonos setups. So if you have speakers or you have the amp, you can connect to those straight away, and you can control, you can connect with them, and sort of you can run in sync. But an issue, so technically, really a wireless over-ear headphones, but a little better with Wi-Fi support and voice control. And apparently, it'll cost somewhere between four to five hundred dollars. My guess it's going to be around $500, comfortably, potentially. You never know. It's kind of like, uh, this is sort of in the same realm as the Sonos Move, which is their portable speaker, a portable wireless speaker that you can move around the house. It runs on Wi-Fi, so it goes all over. So that's pretty interesting in a way. Um, and while we're at it, apparently they're looking to create wireless earbuds. So, that'll be, so that means that Sonos will literally go from being a home audio company to just generally be a m- much broader audio company providing well, providing all kinds of audio gear for different situations. So it'll be a lot more than just uh, those like premium home connect, uh, those premium Wi-Fi connected home speakers, uh, to even like things like over-ear headphones and all. So that's fairly impressive. And apparently some t- of the technology that will be used in this uh, headphones, codenamed Duke, is coming from a company called RHA Audio, which Sonos acquired two years ago. And that sort of means that, again, um, they'll be able to come around to making uh this is making this uh these headphones possible more or less and apparently as i said this is going to be for those who are familiar with the sonos brand and really uh position positioning it if that's the right positioning it to a whole new market of consumers who don't really have the money to buy home in-home speakers or build systems like that but want something sonos branded so this might be for them and also they're making an app that will go along with it letting you control the headphones and access other informa- uh, access access other speakers not information other speakers really uh, over your internet connection over your home wi-fi um so that's pretty interesting uh pretty much and it'll apparently also come with its like current uh voice assistant but there'll be a more advanced version coming out in the second half of next year Right, uh, another new product category that Sonos is looking to get into, and that's very exciting in a way, 
is streaming and video and streaming boxes. Now we all are familiar with Fire TV and Roku and Apple TV. They're trying to one up the Apple TV box more or less. They're trying to create a unique streaming box that's different from uh, the Apple TV that's out there. That's probably the only other major streaming box in the premium segment in the market for streaming boxes over a hundred dollars. This device, codenamed Pinewood, apparently will let you uh, can stream videos from streaming services or from your own sort of home library if you have one um, onto your TV. And also uh, will be a hub so you can access other Sonos devices and naturally you could uh, connect your Sonos speakers and directly send audio to those speakers. So if you have a bunch of Sonos ones already hooked up, um, sort of and plugged in and powered, the streaming box can send its audio, uh, its audio to those speakers. So this is probably what makes it special, in my opinion. You don't have to fiddle around, connect an HDMI cable around into the from the speakers to the box and soundbar. It'll be doing it wirelessly, or maybe through a single cable, or potentially wirelessly. So that's pretty interesting. And apparently, it's where and it'll use its own operating system based on Android. And again, it's talked to various streaming services like Netflix to create to have support and have apps for the uh, box from day one and apparently it will come with Dolby Vision and Atmos support and all the popular codecs that exist and again as I said will come with that classic integration with the overall speaker system that you have at home so if you have the Sonos uh, Roam or Beam uh, if you have the Sonos Beam and the uh, the smaller uh, soundbar I don't remember the name of it or even um, the Sonos One, you can connect it to that streaming box, kind of like how you can connect, uh, you can connect HomePods to your Apple TV, and you can do that also. So that's fairly interesting in a way. And also, apparently, Sonos is exploring the possibility of launching its own streaming service. I don't know what they'll carry on that. Maybe some high-end art document, art house films. I, I can only imagine that for Sonos because they actually have a streaming service where you can stream like radio stations that they've curated with curated music and it's like jazz and pretty pretty like uh pretty uh sophisticated it's for folks who have sophisticated tastes so i can think it's i could assume it's be in that same realm potentially you never know so that that might be the case all right this is just done back to speakers uh they have other speakers also lined up in um in the lineup for 2024 another subwoofer uh, dubbed lotus that will synchronize with the streaming box out of the gate, um, interestingly. Along with that, there will also be, uh, which is again an update to the Sonos sub uh, woofer that's fairly interesting. A new soundbar dubbed Lasso, that's a pretty good name for that. Apparently it will be a premium, uh, a more premium soundbar, uh, costing over $1,200 and will have much better sound quality, general, more be better audio quality according to the report here from Bloomberg. And better bass and again also uh, some of the technology on it is thanks to it acquire uh, thanks to Sonos really acquiring might uh, may it or M a Y H T holding which creates advanced speaker components according to Bloomberg so that's really interesting all right uh, on top of that uh, also in the works for next year is Raven which apparently will be a pricier version of the era 100 speaker and also come with ethernet support that means it'll be good for retailers and restaurants that want to use sonar speakers but don't want to uh, do handle uh, the mess that's wi-fi so that's pretty interesting on top of all of that there'll also be another roam speaker codenamed uh, sidecar 
with redesigned top so you have touch control sliders and again it'll have a similar design to the home speakers like the era 100 300 500 speakers so that's really interesting um, and finally they're also going to be bringing out a new high-end amplifier that's aimed at home theater setups code named premiere and will cost somewhere between three to four thousand dollars for each unit that's a hefty amount of money but it's see it's it's pretty obvious that sonos is looking to cater uh, really double down let's just say that on the market market they really have tar get into new segments um really double down on being the leader in the premium audio segment and that means that launching over your headphones in a streaming box that target those consumers the streaming box that they're gonna bring out will inev inevitably target the same crowd that buys Apple TV boxes for their home theater and so they'll get this also while you're at it so it's fairly interesting and also it'll be interesting, it'll be interesting to see what the new speakers are all about and what the hype is all about uh, hopefully uh, but yeah the headphones and the streaming box is interesting uh, both in that they're so doubling down the premium segment that they, where they've made their name here and also at the same time uh, they might be bringing the brand to new consumers who've never really uh, had a Sonos speaker per se even though it's kind of broadly available compared to the competition so again it's fairly interesting and again can't wait to see what they have in store what they've been cooking all along next year that is and finally uh, the robots have gone angry this time around and I've actually decided to sue somebody now I'm talking about the robots at dbrand if you know if you don't know dbrand in case you'll be living under a rock it's kind of this company that makes skins for all the popular devices from phones to tablets to games consoles and uh, let's say they're very popular in the tech community generally uh, for their cases and skins and uh, they collaborated with jrig everything to create a famous youtuber in case you don't know him he kind of dude who opens up phones for a living and says uh, glass is glass and glass can break so that's fairly interesting and he created like a unique product for the brand called a teardown skin where you could see the inside of the device pretty much and you can have that uh, over your phone's back and you could see the inside and also has plenty of easter eggs but apparently uh, Casetify a rivaling brand that creates cases out of like Instagram photos and put them on the back like oh you're so wonderful keep slaying and then the, the photo is like on the back of the case pretty much they've copied uh, dbrands's teardown case or skin let's just say that in every way even even like leaving out quite a lot of the easter eggs uh, also like not even bothering to like edit out that stuff uh, but like even a lot of the um, a lot of the easter eggs are also exactly the same like for example the robot tag on like the cable so the ribbon cable that's like printed on it that's been added by jrig everything that's also on the casetify case mind you so that's pretty wild and that's now led to uh dbrand and jrig everything planning uh doing a multi-million dollar uh federal lawsuit against casetify if casetify loses and doesn't really appeal it'll have to pay like a crazy lump sum amount of money to uh dbrand and jerry uh, rig everything so that's fairly interesting uh, though the latter the youtuber sort of has said that he's gonna use the you know the, any money he gets from the lawsuit towards his uh, wheelchair uh, electric wheelchair venture and giving like, f away free uh, wheelchairs so that's pretty interesting now as I said uh, this is a unique product and weirdly that um, 
Casetify has like ran out and copied the whole thing, whole carbon copy. There's not, not like a mention or a notice that it's uh, it's slightly different or uh, it's like actually the device that have opened up and it's exactly how it looks on the inside, uh, but almost like a ripoff of the D, of the D brand skin. Weirdly enough, also another thing you want, I might want to add here is that um, Casetify is, is selling these sort of cases at like at a much higher price than what dbrand would charge for the same thing so we're talking like 60 70 dollars for the case compared to what dbrand charges would it be up to 50 dollars max so so it makes sense that dbrand has a incentive to to take uh case to fight to court um, according to its Dbrand's CEO, Adam Ajaz, told The Verge, quote, If Casetify had simply created their own teardown-esque design from scratch, we wouldn't have anything to take issue with. We are under no illusion that Dbrand owns the idea of taking apart the phones and scanning them. The fact of the matter is that they repurposed our existing designs for their products. They then went to great lengths to conceal their illegitimate appropriation of our work. Uh, and that's Dbrand's CEO. Uh, pretty much so it's quite shocking and again uh, quite shocking itself the case to file like a, a very well-known brand a company uh, apparently worth a billion dollars apparently according to its CEO uh, has gone down that path weirdly enough apparently case to file, uh, they then released a statement sort of a day later uh, saying quote case has always been a bastion of originality and we hold pride in that Okay, that's pretty funny. Uh, how ironic! Uh, they run out and design, uh, copy D brands of skins, and say they have their bastion of creativity. Uh, how funny! That that's wild. Now, if you want my take on this, it's basically that uh, Casetify is in the wrong, and I do hope they lose their lawsuit, and that D brand does win the lawsuit, and sort of get their uh, get their due justice in court, uh, pretty much. So, uh, because again, what what Casetify did was fairly wrong, uh, in that they sort of did essentially a carbon copy of a competing product. If they made their own, they actually took the to, uh, they really opened up the phones, took high resolution photos, and one to one, nothing like no Easter eggs, none of that stuff. They actually made their own sort of uh, case uh, or skin that's basically what really is in the phone, and not like sort of a what kind of would feel like on the inside that's what the teardown cases they sort of moder they the thing about the teardown case is what you see sort of the inside of the phone they would edit it uh, they would take a very high resolution photo to be approximately accurate apparently it's uh, billboard sized the it's so high resolution you can run it on we can take you can put it on a billboard apparently that's what Jerry Rig everything was saying. Uh, you can check out his video; it's pretty interesting on this. Um, and then they go out and sort of edit it, and it takes takes days on end to edit and create sort of a final version, which basically adds the Easter eggs and some of the modifications to make it look neat and clean. Uh, so again, looks aesthetically pleasing. So yeah, I really do hope that uh, that the brand and of course uh, again uh, Jerry Rig uh, himself sort of. Uh, get uh, get their due right sort of get really uh, get some justice here uh, this is copyright infringement unfortunately and uh, it shouldn't be tolerated but as I said if if Casetify did their own very own thing and it's not like one-to-one -one copy of dbrand then we would have saved we would have we would not been in this trouble that is Alrighty, this leads us to the end of this week's episode a fairly long one to be honest but 
uh, probably one after being off air for like two weeks over that period of time so uh, hopefully should make up for the lack of uh, some episodes in the past two weeks what do you think of everything you've heard today let me know I'm on Instagram Twitter and or X really and TikTok at say underscore mountain 99 follow me there if you can subscribe to listening right now on Apple and Spotify leave a review over there also while you're at it uh, and yeah, till next week, this is your boy signing out, wherever you are, what are you up to, uh, take care, stay safe, and I hope you have a wonderful uh, week ahead, and yeah, thank you very much for listening, alright, take care, ciao.